January 8th, 2010, Dubai Youth Program. All right, does everyone have one of each of the papers? Still getting them. So what ages is this group? What's the age range here? 15 to 25? Who here is 15 to 20? Who here is between 15 and 20? Between 15 and 20? And who's between 20 and 25? And what are you? 13. You snuck in, huh? There are four or five that are less than 15. Anybody who's more than 25? <laughs> Get out of here. Come on. <laughs> All right. So what else would I like to know? Let's see. How many of you, any of you, how many of you chant 16 rounds a day? How many of you are initiated? Okay. How many of you chant any regular amount of japa a day? How many of you read Prabhupada's books at least three times a week? Mm -hmm. Yes, Prabhupada's books? <laughs> How many of you do some kind of deity worship where you participate every day? Okay. How many of you have been involved? This helps me to teach you, by the way. How many of you have been involved in Krishna consciousness for more than three years? More than five years? More than seven years? Ten or more? Less than six months? Anybody less than six months? Okay. You're raising your hand for less than six months? So those of you who are 20 to 25, what are you doing? You're in school? You're working? Anybody here working? Wow. Does that mean you're both working and going to school, or you're just working? Anybody who's just working, finished with school? Okay. Like, what do you do? Project engineer. Project engineer. Okay. What do you do? We have a business. You say we. You're married. Just got married. Just, just. No, like me, as in me and my parents. You and your parents. Is your husband here? No. Is there anyone else here who's married? <laughs> okay. Is your wife here? No. Okay. So I'm sure that you've all heard one of the first things you hear in learning about Krishna consciousness is that this world is a world of misery, right? Isn't that one of the first most elemental things of the philosophy? We have someone here who's not Indian. 
You don't look Indian. Hmm? I'm from Russia. Russia. Do you live here in Dubai? No. Someone has met him near the temple. Uh huh. Just now, and they brought him. Uh huh. Do you are, are you? Do you already practice Krishna consciousness? Yeah, I do practice to some extent. To some extent. Okay. Actually, before I start, I should say, I want to know how fast I can talk. <laughs> so, do I didn't ask them that. I didn't ask that question. How many movies do you watch a week? I should have asked that. I only asked the good things. I didn't ask. The good I didn't know if people would raise their hand for the other kinds of things. If I speak at regular American speed, will you understand me? Yes. If I am speaking too fast, will you tell me? I'll try to speak a little bit slowly. So one of the things that we learn in Krishna consciousness is that we are suffering. Because most people in this world don't really think about it like that. They think, well, yes, I have some suffering, but I also have a lot of pleasure, and there's so much good in the world. But one thing that we learn from the Shastra and from Srila Prabhupada is that this world is basically suffering. That even our so-called happiness just means that our suffering goes down a little bit for a little while. That's really all it means. And I gave an example this morning. Were any of you there this morning? Anybody there this morning? Okay. So I gave an example this morning about water. When you take a bath. So if it's very, very cold out, taking a bath is not so pleasing. In fact, it can be painful. But when it's very hot, taking a bath is very pleasing. So that means that the bath itself is neither pleasing nor displeasing. What's pleasing is that the misery goes down a little bit. So it means there's basically always a condition of misery, and sometimes it goes down a little bit, and we call that pleasure. We talk about three main, sometimes four main categories of suffering. The four are birth, death, old age, and disease. So if you think about birth, I think one of our fears is that we might get into a car accident and have our brain damaged and forget who we are and go into a coma, right? It's a pretty scary thing. Or people worry about getting old and forgetting who they are. I've met some old people who didn't remember who they were. They didn't remember their names. They didn't remember how many children they had. They didn't remember their occupation. That's very frightening. So that's what happens at birth and death to all of us. <coughs> birth and death means I forget who I was. I forget my temporary identity. All the things that make up my present identity are just the memories of this life, aren't they? And that's all gone. So that's a very painful thing. You have to rebuild your identity. And just like a couple weeks ago, I broke my foot. And that means it's, everything is difficult for me now. Walking is difficult, bathing, sitting, everything. So just think about a newborn baby who can't do anything. Now, I'm a little bit more dependent on other people, but a newborn baby is completely dependent. If someone doesn't take care of a newborn baby, it's nothing. 
that that baby can do. So these are positions of suffering. And then everybody has gotten sick. Sickness is obviously very miserable. Sometimes sickness is horribly miserable. Sometimes horribly, horribly painful. And then nobody wants to get old. I mean, you're all young, so old age seems probably like just some idea. <laughs> you think there's young people and old people. I used to think those are old people. But it's not like that. And old age basically means gradually losing your abilities. You gradually lose your strength, gradually lose your endurance, you lose your beauty. Nobody wants to become old. So these are our main miseries. Another way of thinking of the miseries is miseries of the body and mind. Birth, death, old age, and disease are all miseries of the body and mind. Then miseries from other living entities our human relationships. Right? One of the best things in our life and one of the worst things in our life is our human relationships. And often the, we get the most pain from the people that we love the most. We often give the most pain to the people we love the most also. Then what to speak of our relationship with non-human entities, insects and dogs. And then there's, of course, the weather. So here your weather is intolerably hot. You have a large time of the year where you basically never want to be outside, even for a moment. So I think this is the only place I've seen air-conditioned bus stops. <laughs> in other parts of the world, it gets very, very cold, or it's very rainy. So I've been in parts of the world where it rains so much, such heavy rain, very difficult to be outside or to do anything. Or some places where it's very windy or some places where it's very humid and everything gets moldy. So these are all our different miseries. One time there was a, a village where a wise man came to visit and he said, I'm going to give everyone in this village a benediction. And that is that everybody can get rid of one thing in their life that they don't want. So you, you can come tomorrow to the center of town and you can drop off Anything that you don't want. So if you could do... Can someone turn off the japa thing? On the altar, there's that little japa. Oh, it's in the kitchen? I think it's right there. It's right there. It's that little box. Just switch it off. Just, yeah, you can do that. There you go. Thank you. So let's say we could do that. Let's say we could get rid of anything, any one thing that we didn't like about our life. Think about what would it be? What would you get rid of? So most of us would choose something that's causing us some misery. So a lot of people got rid of some aspect of their body that they didn't like. Maybe their face was too long or their nose was too big or their hair was too thin. Some people got rid of, you know, their house was falling apart or they didn't like their mother-in-law. But nobody got rid of the real problems. So why we actually have all these problems is because of something else. Many times you go to a doctor and they may give you just some medicine for the symptoms. 
but it doesn't cure the disease. Sometimes they don't know how to cure the disease. So generally in this world, we're trying to take care of the symptoms of our disease, but not actually the disease itself. And therefore, we get more and more misery. We may get rid of some misery. Do you sometimes get rid of some of your miseries? But then you get another one. Maybe the same one comes back in a different form, or maybe you get a different one. But most people are not intelligent enough to want to get rid of the thing that's causing their miseries. In fact, they want to keep the thing that's causing their miseries, but just not have any miseries. And I find that generally speaking, even those who are taken up Krishna consciousness usually think like this, maybe on a very subtle level. Well, often when we say, I want to get rid of my inartas or my blocks in Krishna consciousness, what we often mean by that is I want to get rid of the suffering. Not that I want to get rid of the cause <coughs> of the suffering. And the reason for that is that the cause of the suffering is something that we have wanted and in fact want at the moment and that we're holding on to as if it's something valuable. And that cause of our suffering are our bad qualities. The whole reason that we're suffering is because we have lust, anger, envy, greed, illusion. That's the cause of our suffering. The way it works is, is like this. We originally have love for Krishna. You know how strongly you can want different things in this world? So all of you are young, I'm sure you have some strong attraction to the opposite sex. You know how strong that can be, such an intense thing. Or we can feel intense hunger, or intensely tired, or we just intensely want some new computer, or some new MP3 player. You see sometimes people at, say, sporting events, they're exhibiting really intense emotions. So that original intense emotion is love. And in this world, even everybody wants to fall in love. Everybody wants to fall madly in love, so madly in love that they forget themselves. And sometimes you hear love songs, you know, it doesn't matter how high the mountains are, how deep the seas are, you know. <laughs> and we, we all want to be, we call it madly in love, almost like madness. And originally, we're madly in love with Krishna. That's how we're designed. That's really who we are. And we've decided, for no good reason, people often ask, what is the reason? There really isn't any good reason. It's like asking, why do people smoke? There's no good reason why people smoke. You can't explain logically why people smoke. But for no good reason, we decided that we wanted to try something else. <coughs> so that love for Krishna has turned into lust, anger, envy, and greed. It's become twisted. Even in this world, we can see that love and hate are often two sides of the same thing, isn't it? People can love each other and then hate each other. It's, the same very, it's a very intense emotion of intense att attachment. If I'm just neutral towards somebody, that's different. Intense hatred. So we develop an intense envy and hatred towards Krishna. 
We've thought, I want to be Krishna. I want to be the center. I want to be God. So that desire is not possible to have in truth. Can't act, none of us can actually be the center. Who would revolve around us? Yeah, if I'm the center, then all of you have to revolve around me. But if you're the center, we all have to revolve around you. So you're not going to agree to revolve around me if you want me to revolve around you. Does that make sense? It's not possible to have more than one God. How is that possible? There will be conflict. So we're wanting something that's impossible. Actually, the Yamadudas bring this up to Yamaraj in the sixth canto of the Bhagavatam. They say there can't be more than one authority, more than one absolute authority, more than one chief authority, because then we'll, there'll be disagreements. You'll do something wrong, and authority will, A will say you should be punished, and authority B will say, no, you should be excused. Who will decide? And the Yamadudas said then some people would get both punished and rewarded, some people, you know, it would be confusion. But Krishna is very kind. And if we desire something impossible, he says, all right, you can pretend to have it. That's called illusion. Just like all the business and movies and computer games, people are wanting something that they can't do in their own bodies. So you get to watch a movie or you get to play a computer game where you can pretend to do it. Isn't it? Is that true? You watch a movie, you identify with the character and when they're jumping from one <coughs> helicopter to another, you feel like you're jumping from one helicopter to another. But you can take your computer game character and do all kinds of things you can't do in your own body. You get to have a facility to live in fantasy what you'd like to do in reality, but you can't because your body won't do that. So we're designed to love Krishna. That's what we're designed to do. We're not able to be our own God. So Krishna says, all right, here's a fantasy world where you can imagine that you're being God. But there's a real problem with imagining that you're being God. Sometimes when I get... Now, you're a, a particularly respectful audience. But sometimes... Sometimes when I'm speaking to a group, there are other people having their own conversations. You ever seen that? Somebody's speaking and there's another 10 conversations going on. Different people are talking on their mobile phone. <laughs> Saw this the other night. A few people. Or sometimes they're texting. So just imagine if right now in this room, each of you decided that you were going to be the speaker for tonight. What would happen? Chaos. Right? Or if you've ever seen a dance performance. <coughs> so beautiful to see a dance performance when everything's coordinated. Sometimes everyone's doing the same dance steps at the same time. Or other times they're just doing complementary dance steps. But it's, it's beautiful. And suppose each person in the dance decided, hey, I, I want to be the chief dancer. What would happen? And the dancers would probably bump into each other. They'd start getting hurt. They'd become injured. Some of them might fall off the stage. 
and nobody would get any pleasure, neither the dancers nor the audience. Recently I saw a dance in Russia at their big festival there where it was a troupe of four people and they danced with fireworks, actually fireworks. They have these rods that fireworks come out of and they troll them and they have hats that fireworks come out of. And they have, really, they have costumes that fireworks come out of. It's incredible, just incredible. And I realized the reason, why are they doing that? Why were they doing that dance? Why do people perform? So the audience would enjoy it, right? It was a very dangerous dance. And if they didn't coordinate what they were doing, they would get very hurt. And probably the people in the audience would get very hurt. So when each of us tries to be Krishna, it's like that. It's like a dance where all of a sudden everybody's in conflict with one another. So as soon as we try to be Krishna, we become in conflict, first of all, with material nature. Bhumar Apanalovayu, Krishna says this material nature is his energy. We then become in conflict with his energy, like people falling off the stage. We become in conflict with the other living entities because everyone's competing for supremacy. And we become in conflict with our own bodies and minds, which are also part of Krishna's energy. And from there comes all of our suffering. All of it. 100% of our suffering comes from the fact that we are out of harmony with the truth. Prabhupada says the whole world is full of Krishna's singing. And according to modern science, everything is vibrating. Did you know that? Everything's moving. Sound means vibration. Whenever there's vibration, there's some sound. So everything is full of Krishna's singing. But we're singing out of harmony. And then it becomes noise. The famous Christian writer C.S. Lewis said, in heaven there's either music or silence, but in hell there's noise. So we've created noise. Therefore, if we want to get rid of our suffering, what's intelligent is to learn to be in harmony. I mean, there's a lot of talk in the last, oh, 10 to 20 years about living in harmony with nature, living an ecological lifestyle. I mean, that's just a very simple understanding that when we live by exploiting nature, instead of living in harmony with nature, yes, we produce conveniences, but we greatly increase our suffering. What is the use of conveniences if your air is polluted, if your food is polluted, if your water is polluted, if you get so many diseases, so many mental anxieties, and then you're always worried about running out of your resources and so forth. But we want to take it a step further. We want to say we don't just want to be in harmony in an ecological sense with the earth and with the sky, but we want to be in harmony with everything. We want to be in harmony with the truth. I mean, in harmony with the truth doesn't mean that you don't express your individuality, but it means you express your individuality in a way that gives pleasure to you and to everyone else. So at the root of this problem of disharmony is turning our love for Krishna and love for all living entities. When you love Krishna, you love everyone, including yourself, into envy. So what we want to do is turn it back. Therefore, if we want to get rid of anything, it should be our envy and our anger, our hatred, our lust. These are all different forms, really, of the same thing. Lust, envy, anger, greed, they're all really the same problem. 
that just you're looking at it from different sides and therefore it looks a little different. Now we often say that when you become a devotee of Krishna, you automatically develop good qualities. That these bad qualities automatically leave. But what do we mean by automatically? What does that mean? I think of it like we say, if you become a devotee of Krishna, Prabhupada uses this example, you are automatically a vegetarian. You don't need to make a special effort to be a vegetarian. <coughs> I thought, well, that doesn't mean you just go to the store and throw everything into your basket and say, well, I'm a, I'm a devotee of Krishna, so I can just, you know, whatever's there. It's not that because I'm a devotee of Krishna, whatever I eat will automatically be vegetarian. I still have to make some effort. I have to read labels, correct? If you go eat out at a restaurant, you have to ask them, what's in this? Do you put any eggs in it? So there's some effort, even though it's just part of being a devotee. So what kind of effort do we have to make to get rid of our bad qualities and develop good qualities? Well, first of all, the way you get rid of bad qualities is not by killing them. Has anyone ever tried to kill their bad qualities? Ever tried to repress your bad qualities or kill your bad qualities? Anyone ever tried to do that? Anybody ever tried to do that? Or none of you are interested in dealing with your bad qualities at all? I'm getting just like blank looks. Huh? It's not a work day. You shouldn't be tired. It's early. Have you ever tried to like just say, all right, no more bad qualities. I'm just not going to be angry. I'm just going to be peaceful all the time. <laughs> Have you ever tried to do that? Yes. Okay, yeah. good. I was wondering if you were all here or not. Does that work? No. Oh. It works temporarily. Very temporarily. And generally, it comes back worse. Worse. <laughs> generally comes back much worse. Or if you deny it and you say, I don't have any envy. <laughs> I don't have any lust. When people first take up spiritual life, they often say such things. Very common. I have no more material desires. I said this to one girl. I said, you know, no, actually you do. You're just not seeing them yet. And she thought I meant that they would come back. I said, no, they haven't really gone. <laughs> so in the beginning, one thinks, I don't have any material desires. And that's probably a good way to think in the beginning. Because in the beginning, if you really saw how bad it was, you'd probably be discouraged. Because it's pretty bad. The situation's actually pretty bad. So you can't just deny them and you can't just repress them. But all of our bad qualities are really good qualities. No, they're not? You're telling somebody no. No? Yes? No? Yes? The sign language? Well, no, when I was in school, our teachers were really strict about passing notes. So I developed sign language. When I was 12, I had three different sign languages, one for everybody in my class, and one just for two different girls. So it's like, gee, she's. <laughs> I'm sorry, I was a teacher for 30 years, you know? I'm hopeless. <laughs> okay. 
all of our bad qualities are really just a good quality misused. We can take a very ordinary example. What's the difference between being courageous and being reckless? Do you all know what those words mean? Yes? What's the difference between being courageous and being reckless? I'm asking you. We get asked enough questions in school. Like when you do something without thinking, courage is when you know what the situation is, when you know your angles, you just don't go and do it. Okay. That's probably true a lot of times. It's probably not always true. So if someone's in, in on a battlefield and their buddy is wounded and they see that the enemy's there and they kill them and they just they don't really think about it. They just rush to save their wounded buddy. They may not be thinking about it. We consider that courage, right? You want to show off? I like that definition. I like that definition. That it's the object. It's an actual cause. So if I run in front of a car to save the life of a child, or I run in front of a car because my friends dared me to do it, it's the same action. And I'm not sure how much ego is involved. That's a hard thing to measure. But I think ego has something to do with it. But I have a different object. One has a good cause and one has a foolish cause or, or no cause. Would you agree with me? So reckless behavior and courageous behavior may look almost exactly the same. The behavior may not be very different. But the goal is different. And in every society, even among atheists and cruel people, everybody values courage. Did you know that? Courage is one quality that everybody values. Nobody likes a coward. So we very much value courage, and yet we don't very much value recklessness. But they're the same quality. They can involve the same behavior, and they're the same quality. The quality is being willing to take a risk. Not everybody is going to run in front of a car to save a child. Some people will be standing there calculating. Is that correct? So courage and recklessness are really the same quality, but whether it's a good quality or a bad quality depends on what you're doing with it. Whether it's a good quality or a bad quality depends on what you're doing with it. Some people are really party people. They like to be with a group of friends and have food and music and a great time. Is that a good quality or a bad quality? Depends on what you're doing with it. If you use that quality to organize great spiritual festivals with 100,000 people and have kirtans until 1 in the morning with delicious prasadam, it's a good quality. If you use that quality to have parties where everybody's drinking, and etc., it's a bad quality. So really... There's no such thing in one sense as good qualities or bad qualities. It depends what you're doing with them. 
So when we're trying to get rid of our bad qualities, what we really mean is taking those so-called bad qualities and using them in such a way that they become good qualities. If you analyze, which we don't have time to do now, but you could take all the so-called bad qualities and see how, if they're used properly, they become good. And I have a whole chart like that on my computer. A list of all bad qualities, probably we're not listing all of them, and their flip side. So that's one of the first keys to how you get good qualities and get rid of these bad qualities that are the source of all our misery is that you find out how can I take this and use it in the right way. My suggestion is you don't hate anything about yourself at all. Ishapanishad says one should never hate anyone or anything. But rather see, let me be intelligent and use this thing in the right way. What is its proper utilization? When I was just in Bahrain, one of the ladies said to me, I'm very blunt and honest. Maybe I shouldn't be like that. Sometimes I offend people. Maybe I should change my nature. I said, no, you should just learn when to be blunt and honest and when to be quiet. <laughs> the first key to changing from bad qualities to good qualities is to admit honestly that one has bad qualities. You don't have to admit to anyone but yourself and Krishna. He already knows. You don't have to admit to your friends or your parents or your whatever. To really be able to look at it <coughs> ourselves. That's a very scary thing because I'm afraid that if I really see what kind of bad qualities I have, I might have to do something about it and the thing I might have to do might be painful. Something like when I slipped in Muscat, I slipped on a stone wet step and my foot went and I went and I thought, ooh, I bet I broke it. But there was a little hesitancy about going to the doctor. You almost don't want to know. In fact, I met one devotee who told me he broke his foot and waited two weeks to go to the doctor. I said, why? He said, I didn't want to be a patient. <laughs> So there may be a little hesitancy. You know, I don't really want to get the x-ray because then I'll have to wear a cast. So sometimes we might think, I don't want to really do the x-ray in my heart because then I might have to do some tapasya. Isn't it? So first thing to getting rid of your bad qualities is to be willing to have the heart x-ray. To be willing to have the heart x-ray. And that will come naturally if you chant Hare Krishna with attention if you take prasadam with attention, if you read the books with attention, if you serve the devotees with attention, and if you minimize your immersion into illusion. If you're chanting with attention and then you're turning on the television, that won't work very well. Because one place you're cleaning your window and the other place you're fogging it up again. So if you want to see yourself honestly, if you want to see the truth, first thing is get close to the light and stay out of the darkness. And again, we have a tendency not to want to do that because we don't want to see the x-rays. We'll think, oh, I'll have to walk around with crutches for a few weeks, which is true. So to be willing to see the truth and own it and be willing to say, you know, I have envy in my heart. I have anger in my heart. I have lust in my heart. 
I have greed in my heart. And I have it there because I am choosing to have it. Another problem we have is that we think we have bad qualities because we're a victim. We think, really, I'm just nice and it's just Maya's forcing me to have these bad qualities. No, Maya's there because you want the bad qualities. So to see that they're there and to take responsibility for them. Again, people are very afraid of doing this. They think, if I admit that I want it, then I'll just be depressed. I'll just think, oh, I'm such a terrible person. <laughs> no, if you admit that, you, that you're holding on to it, if I admit that I'm holding on to something, then guess what? I can do what? I can let go of it. If I'm a victim, you know, what can I do? Then I'm helpless and hopeless. And then better not to look at it, because then I'll just be depressed. But if I'm the one who's holding on to these qualities, I can let go. So no matter how uncomfortable it may be to admit that it's our own choice, on the other hand, it's very liberating. It's very freeing. Because all of a sudden, you can do something about it. So to go close to the light to stay in the light, to be willing to see the truth, keep yourself out of the darkness, and when you see the truth, to admit it. You only have to admit it to yourself and to Krishna. You don't have to, it's not, it doesn't have to be public knowledge. And then to have the courage to let go of the bad quality. And when you let go of the bad quality, Krishna removes it, and you then have it manifested in its original form as its good quality. Now, of course, all of us manifest some good qualities to some extent. We have our list here. You all have your list? <laughs> On this paper, I think you have a list, right? Do you have that paragraph? He is very kind. He does not quarrel with anyone. Is that on your paper? accepts Krishna consciousness as the highest goal of life, equal to everyone. No one can find fault in his character. Magnanimous, mild and always clean, internally and externally. Does not profess to possess anything in this material world. Benefactor to all living entities. Peaceful, completely surrendered to Krishna. No material desire to fulfill. Meek and humble, steady. Conquered sensual activities. Not eating more than required to maintain body and soul together. Not mad after material identity. Respectful not demanding respect for themselves, very grave, compassionate, friendly, poetic, expert, and silent in nonsense. All right, we have another list top there, right? Just kind, peaceful, truthful, equable, faultless, magnanimous, mild, clean, non-possessive, well-wisher to all, satisfied, surrendered to Krishna, without hankering, simple, fixed, self-controlled, a balanced eater, sane, mannerly, prideless, grave, sympathetic, friendly, poetic, expert, and silent. So... All of us have some of those qualities sometimes, right? Right? We're all truthful sometimes. What? Yes, exactly. So most of us here are truthful most of the time, aren't we? I hope. We don't generally lie or steal or cheat. But we do it sometimes, don't we? Hmm. Self-controlled, balanced eater. We're probably balanced eater most of the time, but probably not all the time. Friendly, probably friendly most of the time, but not all the time. Peaceful. Hmm? 
So all of these things, clean, were probably generally clean. All of these good qualities of the devotees, I'm sure we exhibit to some degree. In fact, everybody exhibits these qualities to some degree. I don't think there's anybody who's not even a little bit truthful, maybe somebody. But yet, the scripture says that unless you really surrender to Krishna, you don't have these good qualities. So what does that mean? I want you to think for a minute of why we sometimes give up our truthfulness. Why do we sometimes lie? Of course, sometimes we lie out of consideration for others. Sometimes we say, oh, this is the best subji I ever had. Thank you. <laughs> Just because we don't want to hurt somebody's feelings. I'm not talking about those kind of lies. Those kind of lies are actually part of the austerity of speech. Did you know that? Austerity of speech are truthful, pleasing, beneficial, not agitating to others. And of all those, the key is beneficial. So sometimes it's beneficial just not to say anything. And sometimes it may be beneficial to, to tell a small lie to somebody. Just like only, not very many of you are married, but sometimes married couples ask me, should I always be truthful with my spouse? I said, forget it. <laughs> said the woman had better always tell her husband he's a hero even if she thinks he's a doofus <laughs> and the man should better always tell his wife he loves her and she's beautiful well, your wife may know that she's not beautiful she's got a mirror in her house she may know <laughs> I'm not cover girl quality but she wants her husband to tell her she's beautiful even if he knows she's not quite So I'm not talking about that kind of, of not truthfulness. But if we can think of when we give up our truthfulness, why do we give up our truthfulness? It's usually out of fear. I'm thinking if I tell the truth in this circumstance, I won't get what I want or what I need. So another key to developing good qualities is to have courage. Remember I was saying the courage is admired even by atheistic and demoniac people. Even criminals admire courage. To whatever extent we have courage, that extent is the tipping point in our good quality. I'll be kind as long as I think it'll benefit me and as soon as I, I'm afraid that if I'm kind, I'll suffer in some way, then all of a sudden I'm not kind anymore. I'll be charitable as long as I think I have enough for myself and as, long as, as soon as I become afraid of my own situation, I won't be charitable anymore. And each of us has a different tipping point, depending on how much courage we have. So therefore, we exhibit that good quality more or less. But really, we're not exhibiting that good quality at all. Therefore, the scripture says, one who is conditioned doesn't really have the good quality at all. Because all we really have, again, is selfishness. If my selfishness will be served by being truthful and kind and charitable and helpful, I'll do it. And if it won't serve my selfishness, I won't do it. Does this make sense to everybody? Yes? No? Maybe? You're thinking about it. So another way to develop good qualities, one way we were talking about is to transform the bad quality into a good quality. 
Another way we talked about is to be get close to Krishna. So he lights up your heart. You can see your bad quality for what it is. You admit it. You accept that you're holding on to it. You repent it and you let go of it, at which point Krishna takes it away. You can't take it away. And another way to develop good qualities and get rid of bad qualities is to pray for courage. To pray for the courage to maintain a good quality always. To maintain a good quality always. That doesn't mean, of course, that you're always friendly to everybody externally. You know, if someone's trying to kidnap your little sister, you're not just, oh, that's okay. (laughs) But you don't have any animosity or hatred towards anybody. That's what friendly means. You never hate anybody. You never wish ill for anybody, ever. No matter how much they hurt you or hurt somebody you love, you still only wish them well. So to really ask for courage. And you know there's only one way you can get courage. And this is probably why we say that these good qualities develop automatically in Krishna consciousness. The only way you can get courage is to know that Krishna is going to take care of everything I need. He really is. That doesn't mean he's going to take care of everything you need exactly the way you have in your head it should be taken care of. Just like parents take care of their children, but not always in ways that their children like. Do you like all the ways your parents take care of you? No. But if they're reasonably good parents, I'm sure they have your best interests in mind, at least most of the time. Sometimes they're probably tired or hungry or something. But Krishna always has our best interest in mind. So the real courage comes from Krishna is going to take care of me. If I'm kind, if I'm truthful, if I'm charitable, if I'm clean, no matter what I think it may cost me, no matter what I think it may cost me, I'm depending on Krishna to take care of me. And if Krishna chooses, if Krishna thinks it's good for me to be poor, then I'm going to be poor anyway, whether I lie or not. If Krishna thinks it's going to be good for me to be sick, I'll be sick anyway, whether I cheat or not. So let me do the right thing and depend on Krishna to take care of me and trust that whatever Krishna is doing for me is okay. To have the courage to do that generally takes some time. But once one has the courage to do that genuinely, genuinely, in the heart, don't fake it, then one gets peace. And then one has actual good qualities. And when you have actual good qualities, all the miseries disappear. You may say, well, wait a minute. We see many great devotees, pure devotees, liberated souls, and they seem also to have miseries. This is many people's argument. They also get injured. They also get sick. They may also have a not pleasant husband or wife. They may be poor. You want to fly it? Go ahead. Let's see what a good, how good of a job you did. Go on. Go ahead. But the thing is that they're not experiencing his misery, just like this fellow here. What's your name? Sun? Sanji. Sanji? Is that right? So Sanji wasn't really here. His body was here. I'm not quite sure why his body was here. Maybe his parents told him he was supposed to come or something. 
<laughs> or maybe there's really good prasadam later and he has to hang around in the class to get it. He had some reason that his body was here. He wasn't here. He wasn't here. He was, he was preparing airplanes. <laughs> and some of you are probably not really here because you're thinking about something else. Some exam you have to study for, a fight you had with your parents this morning, some problem at work. So you may be externally here, but you're not really here. I'm sure there's quite a few of you. Him I noticed because it was obvious for what he was doing. I can't look into your minds. I mean, I can notice somewhat. You know, if you look at people and they're just kind of... (laughs) (laughs) Or somehow if their body language doesn't match to what you're saying, you're saying something funny and they're just... (laughs) (laughs) And you figure they're not really here. And you know, when you're not really there, you often don't experience what's going on in that place. If your mind is absorbed in something else, you don't experience either the distress or the happiness of what's going on around you. Okay, everybody watch the Pujari. (laughs) Make sure those things clatter on the tray as you're walking. There you go. Hold it steady now. No noise with the conch shell. And put it down. Very good. Excellent. Okay. Make sure you arrange everything now for the altar. Watch that guy over there, okay? All right. So, by the way, this principle is used in hypnosis. And Prabhupada talks about this in teachings of Lord Kapila. He says, even a materialistic person can absorb his mind in such a way that he's not disturbed even by surgery. Imagine somebody's cutting you open and you have no anesthetic, but because you absorbed your mind in something else, you don't feel any pain. And I've personally met people who've done that. In fact, after I read that, I decided to do that for childbirth. And I had two births. My first birth, I didn't know about that. But I had two births without any pain. I mean, literally, without any pain. And it was very interesting. I could feel what my body was doing, but it was just interesting. (laughs) I didn't code it as pain. After all, pain and pleasure is just electrical impulses in the brain. Another very simple example is if you're watching a movie and the the character gets hurt or almost killed, you feel pain. But if you're just in a shop where they're showing a movie to sell a monitor and somebody falls off a cliff, you don't feel any pain. Or you drive past a car accident and someone's injured, but you don't know them, you don't feel any pain. Or you read in the news, 20 people died here or there, but you don't know the people, you don't feel any pain. Therefore, all pain comes from attachment. All pain comes from attachment. All the bad qualities are all varieties of attachment. If you don't have any of those bad qualities anymore, you don't feel any pain. You know what's going on, you're not a fool but you don't experience what's going on as miseries. So the liberated souls, they may apparently be going through some of the sufferings that we go through, but they don't feel it as pain. And I've had a little bit of experience of that on a mechanical basis to understand how it works and that it's true. And all of us have had a little bit of experience of it like that, just if our minds are on something different. There's something exciting. If you're really, you know, if you're about to go on a trip somewhere in two days and it's a place you really want to go and you're really excited about it and you're just thinking about it all the time, 
you may not notice difficulties in the situation around you. They just, just don't really affect you. You're absorbed in something else. Now, we can only do that all the time if we give up 100% our bad qualities, if we turn them 100% back to good qualities. Because these bad qualities are all varieties of attachment, and as long as I have attachment, I must suffer. And then you may say, well, if I had no attachment, I wouldn't enjoy either. Uh-huh. But how much material enjoyment do you get? It's mostly suffering. If one becomes attached to Krishna, one enjoys unlimitedly. It's not just a platform of neutrality. So those are the real ways to get good qualities and be free from suffering. Do you remember what they are? To turn the those into good qualities, to look really in the heart and see honestly and see that I'm holding them and letting them go. To realize that my so-called good qualities are just manifest selfishly and that if I want to have absolute good qualities, I have to pray for courage. courage. And also to be absorbed in my mind and heart in Krishna. I should be thinking about Krishna's form, Krishna's pastimes, Krishna's qualities. I'm going to end here. I have another about 10 minutes. By looking at some of these good qualities. And then looking at some practical means of developing them. So I've listed a few here. um, You have this sheet also? The the whole main list is for you to take home with you. We're not going to read through that now. This list where it says qualities of a devotee, that's, that's for you to take home. And what I've done here is I've looked at, I think, all of the sources in the Shastra where these good qualities are mentioned. And I've put the Sanskrit word for them without diacritics in case people don't have a diacritic font, so that way it doesn't print out funny. So I've put down the Sanskrit word, and then I've listed under the Sanskrit word all the different ways that that good quality is defined or translated, because sometimes it's translated quite differently in different places. All right? So these, these three pages you have are reference material for after this presentation. But if you can look at the other page, there's another page right there. It says humility. Yeah, there you go. It should say humility and pridelessness, respectful to others, lack of interest. In, does it say that? Does it have that list? Okay, we don't have time to get into this in great depth. Humility and pridelessness. So people think of humility as something like I'm really not good at anything. Why don't you step on me? And you can see why nobody wants to do that. Who wants to do that? It sounds awful. It sounds like I'd never have the energy to do what I wanted to do and people would just abuse me. And right? So I've done a lot of study about what does it mean in the Shastra? What is humility? Because humility is in one sense one of the keys to spiritual advancement. And I've concluded that humility means being truthful, first of all. We're talking about looking in your heart and seeing the truth. So that's actual humility. Seeing that, hey, I'm a soul. <laughs> I'm a part of God. I have the 
most of the qualities of God to a small extent, but wonderful qualities. I'm eternally young, I'm beautiful, I'm kind, I'm powerful, I'm effulgent. I live forever, I'm full of knowledge. But I'm really, 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 really small. I'm wonderful, but really, 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 really small. And I have foolishly taken a bath in the sewer. And now I'm covered with... Well, that's you know. And I can't really get clean by myself. I'm so dirty and it's so caked on. All I can do is present myself to Krishna for cleaning. So it's truthful. Saying that, you know, you're not good at graphic design when that's your profession, it's not truthful. Saying that by the grace of Krishna, I'm good at graphic design, is truthful. Then you're recognizing Krishna's given me this talent, Krishna's given me this gift, and he can't <coughs> take it away. <coughs> it's not mine. Humility is also full of gratitude. Think about if you have, what do you call your money here? Dinars? What do you call them? Dirhams. Dinars is Bahrain, right? Dirhams. Dirhams? Okay. So let's say you have 100 dirhams and you go shopping and you buy something that's worth 100 dirhams. How do you feel? Broke. <laughs> you feel okay. Suppose you have 100 dirhams and you buy something and find out it's only worth 20 dirhams. How do you feel? Uh, and suppose you have 100 dirhams, you buy something and you find that it's worth 500 dirhams. How do you feel? Good. How happy we are with what we get is directly related to how little we think we deserve it. If you think you deserve something, you're okay with it. If you think you get less than what you deserve, you're angry, you're miserable, and frustrated. And if you think you get more than what you deserve, you're very happy. So when you're humble, you think you don't deserve anything. That means you're always grateful and you're always happy. It's not a depressed thing. It's like, well, I don't deserve it. <laughs> it's not like that. It's like, wow, I don't deserve anything. But let's look at this. Krishna's giving me water. He's giving me a human body. He's giving me flowers and nice friends and good food. How kind he is. And everything you get is exciting. Everything you get is exciting. You're full of gratitude and you're full of joy. And when you're completely humble, it doesn't matter if sometimes some people mistreat you. Not that you should purposely allow people to mistreat you. Please be practical. <laughs> Spiritual, spiritually realized people are not fools. But if despite your best efforts, people still mistreat you, it doesn't really matter because you didn't really deserve to be treated nicely anyway. Well, I got plenty of people who treat me nicely. This must be a lesson from Krishna. And then you're always peaceful. You're always peaceful. So that's real humility. Respectful to alls. Right? In modern society, we have this idea, I have my rights. I have the rights that people treat me with respect. By the way, this desire to want to be treated with respect is ultimately a spiritual desire. We want Krishna to recognize us. Prabhupada said, if you don't work to have Krishna recognize you, your life is condemned. But to be respected in this world, you know, one day people will respect you, and the next day they'll disrespect you. And if your happiness is dependent on whether or not people respect you, you're always going to be worried. You always have to worry about what other people think of you. 
and they can turn on you like that. A friend can become an enemy in a moment, and an enemy can become a friend in a moment. And if that's where our happiness lies, you'll be putting a lot of energy into trying to have people respect you and always being afraid. Have Krishna respect you. Put your energy into having Krishna respect you. We should try to be respectable because we're representatives of Krishna, but whether or not people actually respect us, who cares? As long as if God respects you, why should you care if anybody else respects you? Does that make sense? Then I'm already getting all my needs for respect from God. I don't need to look for it from anybody else. You can when I'm done. Can you hold it? All right. Lack of interest in material things. Again, my happiness is coming from Krishna. My happiness, my peace, my autonomy, my meaning is coming from Krishna. Therefore, if I have material things or I don't have material things, it doesn't matter. I'm not depending on material things to give me peace, to give me security, to give me knowledge, to give me happiness, to give me autonomy, to give me meaning, to give me community, to give me anything. I've got it in Krishna. Therefore, I can be disinterested. If I have them to use in service, I have them to use in service. If I don't have them, then I do some other kind of service. Mannerly and poetic. So in the spiritual world, the speaking is so sweet, it sounds like singing. It doesn't mean everybody's always singing like a Bollywood musical. <laughs> Although the Bollywood musicals are an urge for the spiritual world. But, you know, everybody, all of a sudden people get up. <laughs> right? People are looking for the spiritual world. So that's our nature. And in fact, if somebody's really, really, really in love, they tend to be very poetic. A lot of the art and, and poetry and music of the world has been written by people who are in love. So that comes naturally when you're in love with Krishna. Okay. I don't think I'm going to talk about those other things, even though they're here. So as soon as we actually develop these qualities, we attain all of the peace that we want, and we become free from material miseries. And now, yes, we have a few minutes. Do you all of you have to leave at 7 sharp? At 7 sharp, do you start disappearing? <laughs> Do you all turn into pumpkins or something? Um, I don't want to stay too long because I've been on your crazy Dubai schedule for the last week and an almost similarly crazy schedule in Bahrain and Muscat. So for three weeks I've been on this inhuman schedule and I'm traveling tomorrow so I, I really would like to get to bed at a normal time tonight. <laughs> but we can have, how long can we go? What's the? Okay. All right, so yes, what would you like to ask? So you mentioned that that we shouldn't uh, even expect respect if we don't get it, we shouldn't get upset about it. Uh, what happens when people don't like it from you? Is it, is it okay to just take it then? Or? Oh, that's a very good question. Well, first of all, whether you expect respect from other people or not, you won't always get it. Does that make sense? Anybody here always respected by every single person that they encounter in their lives? So expecting respect and wanting respect and being dependent on the respect of others does not in any way whatsoever guarantee that you're going to get it. So just well, let's start with that. We say, Mari Krishna Rake K, Rake Krishna Mari K. Krishna wants to save you, no one can kill you. Krishna wants to kill you, no one can save you. So frankly, whether or not people respect us and how they respect us and how they show that respect is not something that any of us can control. 
I can only control me. I cannot control how much you respect me. I really can't. I mean, unless I point a gun to your head and say, respect me. But, you know, that's not really very meaningful. So does that make sense? Okay. So we're dealing with something I can't control. I'm dealing with something I can't control. I'm dealing with something I can't control. So a discussion about whether or not it's okay, in one sense, is irrelevant. It's something like saying, is it okay that it gets very hot here in Dubai? You can't control it. You can't control the weather. Whether it's okay or not, it has to be okay. Whether people sometimes insult you to say, is it okay or not, it has to be okay. Because sometimes people are going to insult you, no matter what you do. Are you all with me on that? Do you think this is true? Okay, but we all have a desire, not a desire, we have a need. We have a need for, for respect, just like we have a need for air. Because we come from the spiritual world where everybody respects everybody. That's our home. That's our home. Just like you guys come here to the Middle East and you're still eating your Indian food. You haven't all adopted Arabic food. Isn't it? Everybody wants what's natural to them. And what's natural to us as a soul is an atmosphere where everyone respects everybody. Nobody insults anyone in the spiritual world except out of love. You ever sometimes insult your friends out of love? Sometimes even the gopis insult Krishna out of love. So we, we, we need, we need that. Therefore, my suggestion is get it spiritually. And the only way to get it spiritually is get it from Krishna. And then if you get it from Krishna, your, your, your need is already met. Think of it like this. If someone's just given you a really good meal and you're totally satisfied, then you don't care whether anybody else feeds you or not. It just doesn't affect you. If you eat at your home, let's say you eat at your home, and then you go to a devotee program, and somehow at that devotee program, they don't serve any prasad. I'm sure that never happens here. <laughs> but let's just say that, or they just give out an apple, like sometimes they just give out an apple. But you've already eaten. So it doesn't matter. It doesn't affect you. It just doesn't matter. You're not dependent on those people to feed you. You're already fed. So if you're already full with Krishna, then whether or not people insult you is irrelevant. It just doesn't matter. You know, you're full. You may feel bad for them. You may feel bad for that person. How unfortunate that this person thinks they can become happy by insulting others. And depending on the circumstances, you may take practical means to clear your name. Krishna did that. When the residents of Dwarka were saying that Krishna had stolen the Shamantaka jewel and killed Prasena, he made a practical effort to clear his name. And it said that if you meditate on that pastime, you'll be free from defamation. But Krishna's not attached. So you can make a practical effort. First of all, we should all be an e make an effort to be respectable. Should all try to lead moral, honest, respectable lives, especially as we're representing Krishna. That's what he would like. Krishna doesn't like his devotees 
to lead irresponsible or immoral or dishonest lives. After all, he's the one who made the moral principles. And we can take practical steps to clear our name. I mean, I just recently had somebody circulate a paper that said some nasty things about me, and he hadn't even read the paper, and he didn't even know they were in there. And I contacted him, and I said, hey, you know, why are you doing this? Oh, I didn't know I had said anything about you in there. I said, well, why don't you read things before you pass them around? And then I spoke to some other people. I said, would you talk to this person? They said yes, and they talked to him and said, would you write to the people that you sent it to and say, you know, please, I shouldn't have passed this around. I didn't know what it was. So I took some practical steps. But at the same time, one has to feel, Mari Krishna, Rake K, Rake Krishna, Mari K. If Krishna wants everybody to hate me, there's really nothing I can do about it. And if Krishna wants people to treat me nicely, then they will. Then you have peace. Then will you always have everyone treating you nicely? No, but you're not going to have that anyway. But you'll get peace. Everyone doesn't always respect Krishna, what to speak of me or you. To live like that takes what quality? What's the quality it takes to live like that? Courage. Courage. Takes courage. <coughs> that even though this person is insulting me, Krishna will meet all of my needs. Krishna will meet my need for respect. I don't need to be respected by this particular person. Now, if a person is always nasty to you for, and you can avoid them, then avoid them. Duh, you know, I mean, <laughs> if, you're, if you're working for a terrible boss who's always nasty to you and you can change jobs, change jobs. If there's practical steps you can take, take them, but without attachment. Does that make sense? Without attachment. And you're not depending on that for your happiness. Then you're free. Wouldn't it be nice to be free? To not be dependent for my happiness on how other people treat me or the circumstances of my life, which I can't control anyway. When we're dependent, when we think we're dependent for our happiness on things we can't control, what are we going to feel? Sad. What else? If you're being dependent for your happiness on things you can't control, how are you going to feel? Frustrated, disappointed, hmm? angry. And often you'll get angry at the other people. You're supposed to be the one who makes me happy and you're not doing it. <laughs> That's where all of our anger comes from, afraid, Why not be free? Why not be dependent on your happiness for something that you have absolute total control over at all times, which is how much you're depending on Krishna? That you can control completely. And nobody can ever take it away from you. Nobody. Why not do that? That takes courage. Definitely takes courage. It's not something you can artificially do. Does that help you?
Krishna's a taste in water. Anything else? Yes. About the quality of truthfulness, I'm into business. So it's like uh, somebody do I have to lie? Say, I know that the, or one person calls me and says, I want this product, and this guy is giving me for a much cheaper price than you. But I know he's actually giving a fake Chinese product, not the American product. <laughs> right? So I, uh, I know he's doing it. Because I call that person and say, yeah, yeah, I'm doing that. So I also have to tell the person, yeah, yeah, I'll supply your American, but it's actually Chinese. So is that actually counted in the sense of bad karma? Or I'm not sure. I mean, Prabhupada did say that in business and in politics, you know, really only the brahmana can be totally truthful. And again, sometimes, sometimes telling lies is necessary for a higher. The truth isn't the highest, the highest thing. Beneficial is the highest thing. Like Krishna gives the example, you know, if, if the robbers are looking for their victim, you don't tell them where they're hiding, in the name of truthfulness. And Krishna says every endeavor is covered by some kind of fault. And one of the faults in business is that it's impossible to be totally honest. At the same time, I would be as honest as you can be and trust that Krishna will give you what you're destined to have. So you have to decide what that is. I had an interesting experience with, um, with honesty. I was discussing about, it was almost a year ago, I was having a discuss, little, a little less than a year ago, it was like November... 2008. I was discussing with some devotees in London about being truthful, about being honest. And I said, well, I have a lot of pirated software on my computer, and that's not very honest. But what can I do? And somehow or other, in the course of the conversation, I decided, although it had been bothering me for a long, long time, like 10 years, 15 years, somehow in the course of that conversation, I made a decision. And I said, you know, I'm going to have all legitimate software on my computer by January 2010. Now, saying that was a very scary thing to say. I had to have a lot of courage to say that because most of my service I do is through my computer. I write. And if I didn't have the software, I couldn't do the service. And at that time, I didn't have the money to buy legitimate software. And I had no idea where I would get the money from. So it was a very scary thing. But I, I said, it was two, three devotees there, I said, by January 2010, I'm only going to have legal software on my computer. Do you know what happened? Guess what? Any of you can guess what happened? One of the devotees must have picked it up. The next day, not someone who was in that room. It wasn't somebody who was in that room. The next day, somebody came to me and said, Ermila, here's money to buy legitimate software for your computer. The very next day. And I concluded that Krishna was really happy that I made that decision. So I would say that probably a lot of ways in which we're not truthful are really not necessary for our business. Some ways may be necessary, but in general, really look deeply. Profit for your service, so, okay, let me tell this 
I mean, if you can't do your business at all without lying, but, but be careful. Also, always treat others the way you would want to be treated. Always treat others the way you would want to be treated. Frankly, I wouldn't want to be told it was a genuine part if it wasn't. I wouldn't. Would you? But, but maybe he doesn't know that. Anyway, that's something for you to decide and for you to look in your heart and talk to Krishna about. Is this actually necessary? Or am I doing it out of fear? Have I come to a tipping point where I'm afraid that if I'm honest, I won't make any money? The money I make is dependent on Krishna. In politics, there has to be some diplomacy. You know, if you're a politician, there has to be some diplomacy. There's some secrecy. There has to be spies. Has to be. It's part of politics. Part of running a government. In business also, there has to be some secrecy. You don't tell all your sources to your competitor. Right? But I think there's a difference between that and cheating people. Prabhupada gives the example that you might say, oh, I'm not making any profit for you. This is a really special deal. I one time a devotee convinced me to buy something like that. There were four of something in a devotee shop, and I was kind of deciding, do I want one or not? And she said, you know, there was a lady in here this morning who said she wanted to buy all four of them, and those are our last. And they were there for the next year. I would draw the line at actually cheating people. That's where I personally would draw the line. I don't think you should ever cheat anybody. I, I wouldn't want to be told it's genuine if it's fake. I, I really wouldn't. I would, that would bug me. I'll go back to a business if that business even directs me to their competitor, if the competitor has something better then I'll actually go back to the first business over and over and over again. I've had that experience many times. I've gone to some business and I've asked them for something and they've said, really, if you really want to get that like this and this and this, then you should go to our competitor because we don't carry it like that. You know, I can give you something, but it's going to be of inferior quality. And I'm so impressed with their honesty and I'm so impressed with the fact that they want to serve me and take care of my needs. They've got a loyal customer. And I'll keep going to them again and again and again for something that they have that I need. But if I find out that a business has cheated me, I won't go to them at all. Then how can I trust them with anything? So I, I would always consider, do to others what you want to have done to you because the way the law of karma works is whatever you do to others is what will be done to you. And what is being done to you? One of the main reasons people dis treat me disrespectfully is that sometimes I treat others disrespectfully, honestly. If you don't like being cheated, don't cheat others. That's my humble suggestion. You can do whatever you like. <coughs> That also requires courage. 
I'm going to get what I'm going to get. If I lose this sale, but I'm destined to get a certain amount of money, I'll still get it. I'll just get it in another way. Krishna will take care of my needs. I don't need to violate Krishna's law in order to get my needs met. That doesn't mean he'll always take care of my needs in ways that are immediately obvious or pleasing to me. It's not pleasing to wear a cast on my foot. It's completely annoying. But it's for my benefit. So one has that trust. Any more questions? I'm trying to lose you guys. Any more questions? Anything else? So if I've said anything you think is foolish, then just please ignore it. And if I've said anything useful, I hope you can take it on. Very nice to see all of you. It's people who are full of youthful energy who are the future of any society. So please use your youthful energy in doing something that's for your spiritual good and for the spiritual good of society. Hare Krishna. Hare Krishna.